0: Let's open the Scriptures to the book of Genesis, chapter 14, and then Hebrews chapter 7. As mentioned in the prayer, we're going to be focusing on the high priestly work of the Lord Jesus Christ, and as we confess that in Article 21 of the Belgic Confession, we're going to be leaning quite heavily on what is written in Hebrews which writes extensively about the priestly work of our Savior. And Hebrews mentions and our confession mentions that Jesus Christ is a high priest in the order of someone named Melchizedek. Well, in Genesis 14 is where we, for the first time, read about Melchizedek. So we're going to try to get a handle on this fellow Melchizedek and his relevance to the gospel. In the days of Amraphel, king of Shinar, Arioch, king of Elasar, Keralaomer, king of Elam, and Tidal, king of Goim, these kings made war with Bera, so, king of Sodom, Bersha, king of Gomorrah, Shinab, king of Adma, Shemeber, king of Zeboim, and the king of Bela, that is, Zoar. And all these joined forces in the valley of Sidim, that is, the Salt Sea, Twelve years they had served Keter Laomer, but in the thirteenth year they rebelled. In the fourteenth year, Keter Laomer and the kings who were with him came and defeated the Rephaim in Ashtaroth Karnaim, the Zuzim in Ham, the Amim in Shavah Kiriathayim, and the Horites in their hill country of Seir, as far as El Paran on the border of the wilderness. Then they turned back and came to En Mishpat, that is Kadesh. And defeated all the country of the Amalekites and also the Amorites who were dwelling in Hazazon Tamar. Then the king of Sodom, the king of Gomorrah, the king of Admah, the king of Zeboim, and the king of Bila, thats is, Zoar—went out, and they joined battle in the valley of Sidim with Keter king of Elam; Tidal, king of Goim; Amraphel, king of Shinar; and Arioch, king of Elisar, Four kings against five. <coughs> Now the valley of Siddim was full of bitumen pits, and as the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled, some of them fell into them, and the rest fled to the hill country. So the enemy took all the possessions of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their provisions and went their way. They also took Lot, the son of Abram's brother, who was dwelling in Sodom, and his possessions and went their way. Then one who had escaped came and told Abram the Hebrew, who was living by the oaks of Mamre the Amorite, brother of Eshcol and of Aner. These were allies of Abram. When Abram heard that his kinsmen had been taken captive, he led forth his trained men born in his house, 318 of them, and went in pursuit as far as Dan. And he divided his forces against them by night, he and his servants. And defeated them, and pursued them to Hobah, north of Damascus. Then he brought back all the possessions, and also brought back his kinsmen Lot with his possessions, and the women, and the people. After his return from the defeat of Laomer and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet him at the valley of Shavah, that is the king's valley. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine, He was priest of God Most High. And he blessed him, that's Abram, and said, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abram gave him a tenth of everything. And the king of Sodom said to Abram, Give me the persons, but take the goods for yourself. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have lifted my hand to the Lord God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, that I would not take a thread or a sandal strap or anything that is yours, lest you should say, I have made Abram rich. I will take nothing but what the young men have eaten and the share of the men who went with me. Let Aner, Ashkal, and Mamre take their share. From here we go to the New Testament, the book of Hebrews chapter 7. Hebrews 7, where, as I mentioned, the writer picks up on the meaning of this figure Melchizedek and how he points forward to the coming Christ and his priesthood. Chapter 7, verse 1, For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, met Abraham during a returning from the slaughter of the king's And blessed him and to him Abraham apportioned a tenth part of everything he is first by translation of his name king of righteousness and then he is also king of Salem that is king of peace he is without father or mother or genealogy having neither beginning of days nor end of life but resembling the Son of God he continues a priest forever See how great this man was, to whom Abraham, the patriarch, gave a tenth of the spoils. And those descendants of Levi, who received the priestly office, have a commandment in the law to take tithes from the people, that is, from their brothers, though these also are descended from Abraham. But this man, who does not have his descent from them, received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. It is beyond dispute that the inferior is blessed by the superior. In the one case, tithes are received by mortal men, but in the other case, by one of whom it is testified that he lives. One might even say that Levi himself, who receives tithes, paid tithes through Abraham, for he was still in the loins of his ancestor when Melchizedek met him. Now, if perfection had been attain, attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek, rather than one named after the order of Aaron? For when there is a change of priesthood, there is necessarily a change in the law as well. For the one of whom these things are spoken belong to another tribe. From which no one has ever served at the altar for it is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah and in connection with that tribe Moses said nothing about priests this becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek who has become a priest not on the basis of a legal requirement concerning bodily descent but by the power of an indestructible life for it is witnessed of him And here's a quote from Psalm 110. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. For on the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness, for the law made nothing perfect. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. And it was not without an oath, for those who formerly became priests were made such without an oath, But this one was made a priest with an oath by the one who said to him, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, you are a priest forever. This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath which came later than the law appoints a son who has been made perfect forever." I invite you to turn with me in the Book of Praise to page 507, 507 where we find the teaching of Scripture summarized by the church in Article 21 concerning the satisfaction of Christ our High Priest. And as I mentioned, we'll be leaning heavily on Hebrews 7 to help us understand this connection to Melchizedek. We believe that Jesus Christ was confirmed by an oath to be a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek he presented himself in our place before his father appeasing God's wrath by his full satisfaction offering himself on the tree of the cross where he poured out his precious blood to purge away our sins as the prophets had foretold for it is written upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace and with his wounds we are healed he was like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and was numbered with the transgressors and condemned as a criminal by Pontius Pilate though he had first declared him innocent he restored what he had not stolen he died as the righteous for the unrighteous he suffered in body and soul feeling the horrible punishment caused by our sins and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Finally, he exclaimed, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? All this he endured for the forgiveness of our sins. Therefore, we justly say with Paul that we know nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified. We count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, our Lord. We find comfort in his wounds and have no need to seek or invent any other means of reconciliation with God than this only sacrifice once offered, by which the believers are perfected for all times. This is also the reason why the angel of God called him Jesus that is, Savior, for He would save His people from their sins. So far our confession. Brothers and sisters, in our Lord Jesus Christ, we saw last week in Article 20 that what is spoken there was the work of God the Father in bringing about our salvation. And now in Article 21, we go on to speak of the work of God the Son. Next week, God the Holy Spirit, or next time. And in doing so, the confession mentions a name and makes a connection that perhaps we're not so familiar. It's the name Melchizedek. We believe that Jesus Christ was confirmed by an oath to be a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And that same connection comes back in Article 26 of our confession. Jesus is described as a high priest, and His work is the work of a high priest. Well, what exactly is a high priest? We don't have a lot of high priests running around in our time. So it's a natural question, what's a high priest? And by the way, who is Melchizedek? What does it mean that Christ is a high priest in the order of Melchizedek, and what's the relevance of this for us today? Well, our confession in Article 21 only summarizes what Scripture says, and so we go back to Scripture, to those two passages we read, to find our answers. And I may bring to you the Word of God under this theme, our great high priest meets our every need. He meets our every need. We'll see that He provides greater blessing, greater salvation, and greater sacrifice. So, Melchizedek, there's no question that Melchizedek is a mysterious figure in the Bible. In all of the Old Testament, he's only mentioned in two places and only very briefly, Genesis 14 and Psalm 110. We read the one, we sang the other. Apart from that, you, you don't hear a whisper about Melchizedek. We actually learn the most about Melchizedek and his importance from the letter to the Hebrews, especially chapter 7, which we read. There, the author offers a detailed commentary on both Genesis 14 and Psalm 110. And one of the main things that the writer to the Hebrews does is to show how different and how wonderful and superior Jesus is compared to anyone or anything else. It's kind of a running theme through his letter. Along the way, he shows how angels are great. That's chapter 1, but Jesus is greater than the angels. He says Moses was great and Joshua, they were great leaders in Israel, but Jesus is a greater leader. And at the center of his letter to the Hebrews the author compares Jesus to Aaron. Aaron who was the first and highly revered high priest of Israel, Jesus is a greater than Aaron. Well what was Aaron's task? He was said to be high priest. So there are there was one high priest and under him were various priests, all uh, biologically related to Aaron. They were sons of Aaron. And the priests in Israel had a very important job. Priests had to act as go-betweens between the people and their God. So, average Israelites, they would approach the priests at the temple or tabernacle. They would bring their animal sacrifices The priest would meet them, would take the animal sacrifice and bring it to the altar and offer it to God on behalf of the people. The people couldn't do that themselves. The priest had to do that for them. And while the people stayed outside, the priest would go inside the temple and they would pray to the Lord on behalf of the people. And then the priest would come out from the temple and would pronounce the Lord's blessing upon them and express to them that their sins were forgiven and the peace of God would rest upon God's people. They were go-betweens. So the, the regular priest did this kind of work every single day and then over top of them was a single priest, the high priest who oversaw this work. He was responsible for this work. Even more, the high priest, had his own duties. Once per year, he had the task of going inside the temple even further than the regular priest to that inner chamber, the most holy place where the Ark of God was. He could go in there only one single time per year to make atonement for the whole nation. So the high priest, you see, was a very special individual. He was very holy among the people. He was very respected in Israel, and none more so than the first high priest, Aaron. But now in in chapter 7, the author of Hebrews writes, Jesus is greater than Aaron, because Jesus is a priest, but a priest who comes from a superior line, a superior order, Of priests the order of Melchizedek that's what the word order means there it's this this line of priests and he explains what he means if you have your Bibles handy you could look at Hebrews 7 opening three verses page 1279 the author writes verse 1 for this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. And to him Abraham apportioned a tenth of everything. He is, and that's Melchizedek, he is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the Son of God. He continues a priest forever let's just unpack this a little bit Melchizedek is unique in his own time and really throughout the entire Old Testament a man whom God raised up to function as a shadow or a pointer to that future Messiah and one of the unique things about Melchizedek is that he held two offices at the same time he was both king and he was priest. In Israel, that never happened. All the priests in Israel were appointed separately. They were from the line of Aaron, and the kings, they were appointed separately from the line of David. Kings were never both priests and king together, but Melchizedek was equally priest, equally king. And there was nobody like that in the whole history of Israel until the coming of Christ. Jesus, we know, was born the son of David. As the angel told Mary in Luke 1, Jesus would reign on David's throne, so he's king. And as the Lord foretold through David himself in Psalm 110, which we sang, that same Messiah king would also be priest forever, not in the order of Aaron, but in the order of this Melchizedek king priest in Christ so that's that gets us started down the line of melchizedek but there's more jesus says the author to the hebrews is a forever priest something god was teaching and raising in in raising up this melchizedek and that's what the author means in verse 3 kind of a a strange thing to say in chapter 7 verse 3 Melchizedek is without father or mother or genealogy having neither beginning of days nor end of life I mean what does that mean is he trying to say that Melchizedek was somehow a superhuman maybe an angelic figure who was kind of plunked down on earth and and he defied death to live forever is that is that what the author is saying well, I don't think so. The Genesis account presents Melchizedek in kind of a strange way as far as the rest of the book is concerned, very soberly, as just another human being who served as royal priest over a particular city, the city of Salem. But what Genesis leaves out when it it introduces uh, Melchizedek is very instructive for In all the other instances, or or, certainly in the majority of instances in a book which takes pains to introduce characters with a genealogy, right, there's lots of genealogies in the book of Genesis, well, when you get to Melchizedek, there's no genealogy. Don't know who his father is, don't know who his mother is, and there's no statement that he died, and if you look through Genesis, all the key figures are given a genealogy and a time or at least an indication that they died at a certain moment so we're not meant to think that melchizedek wasn't born of a nat- in a natural way nor that he never died but the absence of this record in the book of genesis leaves this impression you see that this melchizedek is mysterious he's someone who just kind of appears and disappears in the record No birth and no death are recorded, and that is suggestive of eternity. Melchizedek himself was just an ordinary man, but the way his story is told represents, gives expression to eternal kingship and priesthood of the future Savior and High Priest. So all of this is in the background of Melchizedek, and Jesus, as our high priest, in the order, in the line of Melchizedek, means that his high priest is vastly superior than the high priesthood of Aaron. And Hebrews, in chapter 7, points to three differences. Melchizedek's priesthood, it is of an eternal nature, whereas the priesthood of Aaron was only temporary. He only lived for so long, then he died, his son would take over. Melchizedek also received tithes from Father Abraham, and in Abraham also Levi, and even Aaron, and says the author to the Hebrews, it's always the inferior who pays tithes to the superior. So, Aaron is clearly inferior to Melchizedek. And thirdly, Melchizedek blesses Abram, and as the author says, it's always the superior who blesses the inferior. So Melchizedek is this representative raised up by God to point forward to the great high priesthood of King Jesus. And I wondered if you noticed in Genesis 14 how it is that Melchizedek actually blesses Abram when he comes back from that battle. We read there in verse 18 that Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God most high. He brought out bread and wine. I don't think that's a coincidence, brothers and sisters. This man was himself a type and symbol of the perfect priest king who was coming and now he brings out to Father Abraham bread and wine, the very same thing which our high priest Jesus brings out to us at every Lord's Supper. Going back to Abram's day, bread and wine, they were both staples to nourish body and, and soul. They also were meant to, especially the wine, to celebrate in the aftermath of victory. The king of Sodom, by contrast, And he represents, you understand, the unbelieving world. He comes empty-handed to Abram. He had nothing to give God's faithful servant who had just saved his city. In fact, he starts making demands on Abram. But the king of Salem, who had no horse in the race and no dog in the fight, his own city had not been attacked, he had not been touched, he comes out with hands full to bless Abram, both physically and spiritually, bread and wine. Can you imagine for Abram what a sight that would have been for his sore eyes after returning bone-weary to the land of Canaan because he had traveled several hundred kilometers to have this war against all those kings, and having first been confronted by the king of Sodom, demanding his possessions back to then see Melchizedek come out, not to make demands on him, but to offer him a gift, to offer him refreshments, not to haggle over worldly goods, but to bestow heavenly blessings as priest king of God. What a a refreshing, what an uplifting, what a wonderful surprise was Melchizedek to Abraham on his return. Well, brothers and sisters, in the same way, what a refreshing, uplifting, wonderful surprise is Jesus, our high priest in the order of melchizedek for he too comes with bread and wine to bless us and he he gives us far more blessing than melchizedek for jesus christ first went out and fought our battle unlike melchizedek that's what article 21 says in the second sentence he presented himself jesus did in our place before his father, appeasing God's wrath by his full satisfaction, offering himself on the tree of the cross where he poured out his precious blood to purge away our sin. That was our battle, that was our Keterla Omer moment. He did far more than Melchizedek could ever do by going to war against the spiritual forces which held us in bondage, laying his own life on the altar of the cross in order to break their hold on us. And Christ offers this victory to us constantly as a blessing to refresh us in our struggles because like Abraham, we too walk... On an earth that is filled with with enemies, enemies within, enemies from the outside. And how often, brothers and sisters, are we also not bone weary in our struggles? The struggle against sin takes its toll. The struggle to walk in the way of the Lord and fight the sinful inclinations is tough. Then comes our high priest. There's the Lord Jesus coming, not only to strengthen us, but to refresh us with the understanding that victory in this struggle is certain. There's no doubt about it. Jesus, our high priest, He he comes to us in the preaching of the gospel and He announces eternal life for all who trust in Him, in Him and in His crucifixion for the forgiveness of sins, and the Lord Jesus comes to us in the Lord's Supper. We're going to celebrate that in a few weeks, the Lord willing, giving us bread and wine to eat and drink, to be reminded and comfort and reassured that by faith we are united to the body and blood of Christ. As we eat the bread and drink the wine, we are reminded in a physical way that we are one with Christ. And if we're one with Christ, then everything He won on the cross belongs to us. His victory really is our victory. We're one with Him. That makes Jesus even greater than Melchizedek who himself was greater than Aaron Melchizedek we read in Genesis 14 he he went on to bless Abram pronounce a blessing over him by the name of God Most High Jesus he went on to bless not just Abram but all the children of Abraham Who's the father of all believers, Jesus blesses all who follow in the footsteps of Abraham, and he blesses them by his own name, because Jesus is God Most High. Jesus provides us greater encouragement, greater strength, and greater blessing, because he did more than Melchizedek ever could, because he is more than Melchizedek ever was jesus is the son of god jesus is eternal king and high priest who has actually secured salvation and a far greater salvation than the sons of aaron ever could and that's really the author's main argument in chapter 7 and it's a fairly simple argument summarized in 7 verse 11 he writes there, now, if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need would there have been for another priest to arrive, uh, arise after the order of Melchizedek rather than one named after the order of Aaron? Like, if the priests in the order of Aaron could do the job, you wouldn't need another priest. That's what he's saying. And yet, it's crystal clear from Psalm 110 that God was sending another priest in the order of Melchizedek, a different priest from a different tribe than Aaron. Why? Because the Levitical priesthood had a problem, and its problem was that it couldn't do for the people what the people needed to be done. That's what the author means when he writes about perfection in verse 11, He uses the same word again in verse 19, where he writes, "'A former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness, for the law made nothing perfect. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God.'" Now, that word perfection, most often in Scripture, does not mean what we normally associate it to mean. We tend to think that it means sinlessness, like moral perfection. But rather, in Scripture, it has the sense most often of being uh, complete, the sense of having arrived at the desired goal. And if we ask, okay, well, what is the thing that the Levitical priesthood couldn't do? What was the goal that it was unable to meet? The answer is the Levitical priests and the sacrifices could not bring us close to God. Into the presence of God that's what it couldn't do now that does not mean that the priesthood of Aaron was lousy any more than it means that Moses and Joshua were lousy leaders remember the Levitical priesthood came from God after all and in its day it was a good thing it was a blessing Indeed, when God instituted it at Mount Sinai, He brought about something new and something precious. For the first time at Mount Sinai, He proclaimed His law and had His law written down, the Ten Commandments, on two stone tablets, not that the law didn't exist before that time, but what had been previously imprinted on man's heart at creation and had been since that time distorted and corrupted in man after the fall so that human beings became lawless Think of the wickedness of Noah's day where everyone, the thoughts of everyone's heart is said to have been wicked all the time. God decided in Moses' day to set forward the law once again with clarity. He revealed His will again. It became clear again that love for God was what was required and, and love for the neighbor was promoted and required. And right along with that, God also provided in that same law for the forgiveness of sins so that Israel could come close to her covenant God in the tabernacle or later the temple. And you know that in the tabernacle, the presence of God dwelt right above the ark. The the glory cloud came down and dwelt there. God was symbolizing that He was in the midst of His people and the people could come to the tabernacle. They could come to the tabernacle only because there were sacrifices being offered for their sins their transgressions against god's law of themselves would have kept people distant from the from their holy god because he cannot commune with sinners that sin has to be dealt with and taken away but when the sin was atoned for through the system of sacrifice with those priests described earlier going back and forth between god and the people the people could indeed come to a certain point closer to God and worship, closer than they had been since the Garden of Eden. And yet, not all the way. The people could come to the entrance to the tabernacle, but they could not go inside the tabernacle. Only the priests could go in there on their behalf, and only the high priest could go into the innermost place and only once per year. The high priest of Aaron allowed God's people to approach God, and yes, that was a good, precious thing, yet they could only come so far and no further. But you see, the high priest of Jesus Christ, in the order of Melchizedek, he takes us much further. That's the author to the Hebrews' main point, He started with it in chapter 6 verse 19 he speaks of our hope which enters the inner place behind the curtain where jesus has gone he's talking about up in heaven jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf then it comes back to that in 7 verse 19 where the law concerning jesus as high priest is described as bringing in a better hope through which here comes we draw near to God Jesus takes us near to God and he means all the way into the presence of God into the Holy of Holies the priests under Aaron they went into God's dwelling place the temple and then they had to come out again Jesus has gone into God's temple in heaven and he remains there forever, for us. Under the priesthood of Aaron, God's people could come closer, all the way to the door of the tabernacle. Under the priesthood of Jesus, God's people go all the way into the throne room of God, right up to the throne of grace. Under the priesthood of Aaron, the people, they came and they went. They came and they went, bringing sacrifice, going back home. Under the priesthood of Jesus, the people come in and they stay nearer to God, nearer to Thee, nearer to Thee, for He has brought the greater sacrifice, acceptable to the Father forever. The author touches on that as he rounds out his discussion in verse 26 of chapter 7. He says there, for it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners and exalted above the heavens. He has no need like those high priests, the ones in the order of Aaron, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins, then for those of the people, since he did this once for all, when he offered up himself. You see, every son of Aaron, every priest from the tribe of Levi was hampered by his own sin. Jesus had no sin. Every Levitical priest had to ensure that his own personal sins were covered by the proper sacrifice, and only then could he go on to sacrifice for the people. Jesus didn't have to sacrifice for Himself. He was free to only sacrifice for sinners. And every priest in Aaron's line had to bring an animal to be slaughtered as a substitute for himself and for the people. But the eternal priest in the line of Melchizedek only brought himself, and he gave himself as our substitute on the altar of Golgotha. Does not this Jesus, brothers and sisters, does he not, as our great high priest, meet every conceivable need of ours? That's why Article 21 brings all this up because Hebrews lays it out so very clearly that we can say in Article 21, therefore, we we justly say with Paul that we know nothing except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. We've got it all in Christ. We consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus our Lord. The work of this high priest is vastly superior than that of any other high priest ever. It has eternal value because He is eternal. And His sacrifice, Jesus' sacrifice, meets the full requirements of God's justice, for He laid down not an unblemished lamb, but His own unblemished person. This high priest, after the order of Melchizedek, has sacrificed all of himself in order to cover over all of our sins, and he did this one single time for all of time. It's done. What could we possibly add to his work to make it somehow better, somehow more effective, What sin of yours, what sin of mine can this high priest not wipe away? What part of our salvation is is unsure? There's no part that is unsure. So tell me, brothers and sisters, what are your sins? What sins lie in your heart burden you. How many have you got? How bad are they? Are they bad? Take them to your high priest. Take them to the Lord Jesus in true sorrow. Lay them at His feet. Ask Him to forgive and He will absorb those sins into His guiltless sacrifice and take them off your shoulders forever. That's what He does. And what do you need to get through today or tomorrow? Are you in difficulty? Do you struggle? Are there waves of sorrow sweeping over you? Or maybe despair or doubt or depression? Take these two to your high priest. He is busy in heaven every moment of the day speaking to his Father on our behalf. So ask him for help. Ask him for strength. Ask him to lift you up, and he will send you what you need. He's there in heaven presenting himself as high priest in the order of Melchizedek. He's presenting that sacrifice to His Father so that our standing with our Father, it never changes. It never changes. You're never not loved. You're never not regarded as God's children. You're never not regarded as His saved people. We stumble in our daily sins of weakness. Yes, we do. But our high priest steadies us to walk on. And he directs his spirit to carry on transforming us into the image of God. Our high priest in heaven, he gives us that stability and mobility, protection and direction, incredible comfort and invincible power to move on and on until we reach the goal of being like God and with God forever. Amen.